The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has suggested that he would be willing to sacrifice his own life, laying it down for COVID-19 to save the U.S. economy for his grandchildren. I checked with my granddaughters. They would prefer to keep both of their grandmas around, even if that means that the older grandchild will need to push out getting her own wheels past June because her fast food restaurant job is now on hold. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. COVID-19 is a global pandemic. Every country on earth is going to feel some pain. You know, the USA could have reduced that pain had it taken seriously our intelligence service warnings last fall. Let that sink in. Last fall. And started to take steps to mitigate the risks. We could have imposed earlier travel bans on ch- from people traveling from China. We could have established earlier quarantine rules for travelers coming from China. We could have started on a testing strategy and begun work on a test before the pandemic broke out of the Asia mainland. We could have acted much more quickly to reduce travel between Italy and the United States. I remember having a conversation with a friend a week before the ban was imposed saying, you know, there are all these New Yorkers traveling between Milan and New York because of Fashion Week in the midst of a COVID-19 outbreak, and you think they're not bringing it home with them? The same is true for the EU and the United States, the uh, the travel ban between the EU and the United States. But we didn't do all those things. Nor did the National Security Council get out the 2017 pandemic plan and start to put its components into place. It's likely that the current head of the National Security Council didn't even know there was the 2017 pandemic plan because 400 of the 600 permanent members of the White House professional staff have turned over since the beginning of 2017. But all of that is water under the bridge. It's done. Today, the United States passed the 100,000 case mark. That is the highest case mark in the world. Now, that 100,000 comes from a population, we're in the midst of the census, so I'm going to say between 330 and 340 million souls. We'll know for sure at the end of the census. By comparison, China had 85,000 cases in a population of 1.4 and change, you know, 1.4 and some billion with a B people. The ratio is about... 
three to one, roughly, if I do the math in my head. <clears throat> Anthony Fauci, the head of the National Institutes for Allergies and you know Health, um, described the situation today as something we've not experienced in our lifetime. In fact, something we've not experienced in a century. He was, of course, referring to the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. But I don't think comparisons, except in the broadest sense of have a parade in Philadelphia and don't have a parade in St. Louis and have a different factor of contagion, I don't think that comparisons between the Spanish flu of 1918 and COVID-19 of 2020 is incredible, is terribly valid because we're a very different country, a very different country than we were in 1918. It is a subject that is worth exploring, but it's definitely not our focus for today. So we'll come back to that comparison at some point. We are where we are today, and we must work together to solve the problem we confront with COVID-19 ravishing, and I do mean ravishing, our large population centers. There are like 37,000 cases in metropolitan New York, New Jersey. And that will be worse tomorrow. So let's talk about what's working, maybe a little about what's not working. If you compare California numbers to New York numbers, there is one lesson that you can learn, and that's early action works. Social distancing works. We are a very mobile population. We Californians love our cars and we travel distances. Shelter in place began in the metropolitan Bay Area, the seven very uh, highly populated counties and was quickly followed by the two somewhat less populated counties. And there is COVID in all of those counties, but it could be a whole lot worse. Then we experienced a shutdown throughout what we call, or shelter in place if you prefer, throughout what we call metropolitan Los Angeles. So we're talking about a lot of people, uh, probably 10 or 12 million people. And then, then the governor said, that's not enough. Go back to we love our cars and we travel distances. The entire state has now, is now in its second week of a shelter in place. It's not easy, but we're doing it. Our numbers are rising, but they're not rising geometrically as are New York's. But we did receive a countywide emergency alert today. I know I was watching the president on television and jumped about three feet out of the chair, banged my knee on the desk. And what that alert was about was reminding us that we are still in danger, that we must continue to shelter in place, and that we should not go out except when it is absolutely necessary and essential to go out for supplies. 
Florida is now an official disaster area without a statewide shelter in place order yet. In some of the major cities, they've closed the restaurants and bars. And so they've got more than a thousand cases, but they don't have a statewide shelter in place yet. So I'm gonna ask how many senior citizen lives remember that the villages are more than 100,000 people? So how many of those senior lives was spring break worth? You don't have to answer me now. Texas has now issued a 14-day self-quarantine for anyone arriving in Texas from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Louisiana. This is, of course, on the honor system. But Texas also has over 1,000 cases centered in Houston and Dallas, but has not issued a shelter-in-place statewide. That would be quite a shelter in place, even more territory than California, although we have more population. Two weeks after Mardi Gras, Louisiana has the fastest growth in corona cases. It's doubling almost every day. A million people came to Mardi Gras, and Louisiana will run, which is a very poor state anyway, will run out of hospital capacity on Wednesday of next week, on April 4th. They have now declared a statewide disaster and a shutdown, but it's almost a month after Mardi Gras. So let's thank God for some of the courageous governors we have. Most of the governors who are meeting with the president regularly, seem to realize that they will not be, as the president likes to say, open for business by Easter Sunday. But understand, they understand that if we stay the course, if we take the pain now, we may be open for business by Memorial Day and still have our grandparents with us on Mother's Day and Father's Day. Congress has passed a $2 trillion economic continuation plan, and it's called the CARE Act, and the president signed it in a White House signing ceremony on Friday afternoon, but he only invited Republicans to the ceremony. So much for demonstrating bipartisanship in a crisis, since this is largely a Democratic negotiated bill. So let's not call this $2 trillion a stimulus because that isn't what it is. And I've said it before and I'll say it again that um, sending everybody a, a check for between you know, $600 and $3,400, depending on all the fancy numbers, um, is too little to help people who are unemployed and can't get in line for the um, unemployment insurance line, um, and it's not timed well for people who have enough income to pay their expenses currently and who would then put it away to for a later usage. So you're not going to get the quick hit of that 
confetti money, as I like to call it. But we'll come back to that when it's appropriate. The unemployment numbers this week were shocking, but they're going to fall dramatically because one of the things that the CARE Act does is to offer business continuation grants and loans. It becomes, if you're a small business and you take out a loan and you keep all your staff on payroll and you pay their health insurance, et cetera, during this crisis, then that grant's gonna, that loan's gonna turn into a grant and be forgiven. So what we're doing, because 67% of American, of the American economy is small and medium businesses, businesses with less than 500 employees, what we're doing is we're offering basic security to the economy. And Congress and the Fed are saying they can do more if they need to. In fact, the House is already, I mean, they had barely passed the legislation. And since they didn't get invited, the Democrats didn't get invited to the signing ceremony, they were busy already in the Speaker's office working on collecting all of the various state governors' wish lists for money to replace money that they won't get in tax receipts. Um, and so there will be another bill. Yes, yes, yes. There is pork in the bill that just was signed into law. There's always pork. It's the nature of how you get to a majority. Little give, little give here, a little take there, and we meet in the middle. But the big picture is that it will help those who need help the most. I can't tell you how relieved my next door neighbor, who is an independent hairdresser, was when I told her, you know, as a, as a sole proprietor, independent contractor, you, you, you're going to be covered through September for your normal income. And, you know, I mean, her face just took on a, an entirely different perspective. So people who need the help the most, who are independent contractors or who are low-wage workers, are going to get help either through unemployment or through the small and medium um, business grant loans that will turn into grants. Even gig workers are going to be covered. As with TARP, the U.S. taxpayer when it comes to big companies, the U.S. taxpayer will take a stake in the companies that get help, like Boeing, like American Airlines, like United Airlines, like changing the way that cruise ship lines register their ships and try to avoid paying U.S. taxes. Anyway, that's a subject for another day. But the U.S. taxpayer in these big, giant companies like Marriott or Hilton or whatever which are a combination of corporately owned um, hotels and franchises um, will get help and the U.S. taxpayer will help them, but the U.S. taxpayer will take a stake in those companies that get the help, which will ensure the eventual repayment to the treasury. And this is the way that TARP worked, both the bailout to the banks, which was repaid with interest, uh, to the treasury. People, when they talk about the bailout, forget that, that every penny was repaid to the treasury with interest. So you and I, the taxpayer, made a little money on that deal. It is also true with the auto bailout that they took a stake, that you, the taxpayer, took a stake 
in the major auto companies and as they came out of bankruptcy and began to be profitable, um, the uh, government slowly but surely, the treasury, sold off their shares again at a profit. So this will not in the long run add to the national debt. In the short run, it's about mm, half of the national um, budget. But we're the world's largest economy. We can afford to do this. We must do this in the short to medium term because there will be a rebound if we can keep businesses afloat and we can keep workers afloat and we can keep them together as business units, then when this pandemic has been contained, we will see an economic rebound that will allow large and small companies to repay their loans and resume paying taxes. So that's all, I think, good news, hopefully reflected in the stock market on Monday. American ingenuity also is showing itself again. Do you know that, that major retailers like, like grocery chains in Texas have uh, emergency plans for what they need to stock, et cetera, in anticipation of really serious hurricanes and so forth? Well, you know, those, one of those big Texas chains, the CEO today was quoted as saying, I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name, um, is quoted as saying, you know, the only thing they missed in terms of how to stock their stores was toilet paper. They just don't get the run on toilet paper. You can't get any. I mean, here we're using the barter method. I'll trade you. If you order out this fancy dinner, we'll include a roll of toilet paper with your order. Uh, yeah, I'm seriously, folks, it's that bad in California. <clears throat> but anyway, American ingenuity is showing itself once more. Ford, SpaceX, 3M, Boeing, and many others, big corporations and small, did not have to be compelled to begin thinking about how to mass produce required medical protective equipment that we seem not to have stockpiled. As of Friday afternoon, even General Motors has, to quote the president, seen the light, unquote, by being threatened with the invocation of the National Defense Production Act. Uh, to be honest, Trump admitted in his press conference that he wanted to pick a fight with GM, but that's okay. On that subject, while I don't wanna dwell on that specific entity. The president's tweet about uh, making ventilators in Lordstown, Ohio, <clears throat> in the GM plant that was closed in Lordstown, Ohio. Just so you know, General Motors sold that plant to an electric pickup truck company, uh, a new, newly created entity a couple of years ago. You know, Working with the government on this is, is actually to the advantage of these companies because they make money right now. The faster that we can, can, that we can get medical, what they call PPE, you know, personal protective equipment um, and ventilators out to these and, and similar products, hand sanitizer, et cetera, um, 
out to hospitals and medical facilities, the sooner we are going to contain this pandemic across the country. So, and getting through this crisis and back to business is, an, is what incentivizes all business. It's also going to create new manufacturing opportunities for a lot of these companies um, in healthcare, because healthcare is the fastest growing industry. Being able, having people who are cross-trained to do other kinds of manufacturing becomes a hedge against an economic downturn in either aerospace manufacturing or car manufacturing, et cetera, in the future. Boeing is making the plastic shields that go across the face of a healthcare worker um, and, I mean, you have to have very special materials and very close tolerances, and it's got to really fit perfectly. Um, it's much more complicated than you would think. So it, it takes that kind of ingenuity. And because it takes time to tool up any of these firms to make ventilators, the American College of Anesthesiologists has developed a way to use operating room equipment as a ventilator in emergency situations. You know, if you're having elective surgery, they give you oxygen um, while you're out cold um, <clears throat> during the surgical procedure. And the American College of Anesthesiologists, some of those folks figured out that you could repurpose some of that equipment as a ventilator in an emergency situation. And so they've taken it upon themselves to conduct nationwide web-based training for all the hospital anesthesiologists in how to do this in case there aren't enough ventilators in that particular facility at the moment of need. So the president, the guy who was reluctant to send 4,000 uh, ventilators to New York City, now anticipates that we will make 100,000 ventilators in the next nine months. That, he hopes, will be enough not just to satisfy our hospital's needs during this crisis, but enough to sell some abroad. And I truly hope that he is right, as in correct, that we will be able to help provide ventilators to other countries that need them. I mean, there is many U.S. manufacturing <clears throat> Is, is the best in the world. We, you, don't, you don't get people looking at it and saying, oh, made in China, probably won't hold up. They know it'll hold up because it's made in the USA. So I see all of those things as positives. Governors, <clears throat> Democrats and Republicans largely are working well together. When they can't get what they need from FEMA or the US military, they are developing their own supply chains. That's not a good thing. It is a necessary thing. Curbside pickup of groceries and drugstore supplies, et cetera, <clears throat> is going to change retail while the money is still flowing. Amazon, Walmart, and Home Depot are planning to hire 700,000 new workers in the next few weeks, just as fast as they can. I hope they can test them for COVID-19 as part of the hiring process. But you're, you have to be warned, online shopping has its downsides. 
which is why I said I hope they test them for COVID-19 as they're hiring them. The CDC recommends leaving the package that you receive from Amazon or someone else outdoors for at least 24 hours. Online shopping has its downsides. The CDC recommends leaving the package outdoors for at least 24 hours and to wipe off both the exterior and interior surfaces of the carton and products with a disinfectant before you open before you open it and after you open it. Now, that's just to risk to minimize the risk of infection. And the only part of that that doesn't work of the CDC recommendation that doesn't work is that they recommend wearing gloves while you are wiping off the exterior surfaces of the shipping carton. And I want to know where you are going to be able to find gloves. Every scientist and virologist in every university setting and every pharma company is working on better testing, quicker testing, on self-testing, you know, where if you think you have symptoms, you can video conference with your doctor and they can send out a test kit and you, you know, swab your own nose and you stick it in and it gets sent back to the lab and tested without you having to leave home. And the FDA has just approved the first test of that sort. We're working on vaccines, apparently. There are drug therapies. They're, they're taking everything they've got in the house and trying to bang it against this virus to see what will uh, destroy it. Um, and they are also trying, based on what they're learning about what some things do and don't do to destroy it and how the microorganism itself works, they're developing what they think could be some new drug therapies. All of this, uh, we hope, will come in the next several months. But again, it's American ingenuity working on vaccines, current drug therapies, new drug therapies. As I've said in previous broadcasts, I wish their profit-seeking souls all the best of, of luck and Godspeed. Anthony Fauci is sounding cautiously optimistic more optimistic about the results of some of those clinical trials than he did even two weeks ago, especially about the safety of the first human trials of a potential vaccine. Now, that would still put a vaccine probably um, a year away at the earliest, but they're going to be a bit less, uh, less cautious about introducing a vaccine in terms of allergic reactions and stuff, once they know that they have something which offers a degree of protection. And all of those scientists know that if we take the time now to understand the nature of this disease, how it spreads, how long it lasts, is it lifetime immunity after you've gotten it? Is there a risk of recurrence? If we take the time to find out what we're dealing with and we work together and we can hold on to our national impatience, that's a very common characteristic of Americans. We are not the most patient people. We want it now. 
Well, here's what we're probably facing, though. We have at least another month of shelter in place. We're going to see more pain before we begin to see the promise of sheltering in place. We're going to have to maintain social distancing. This is going to have to be a new norm in American life. It will make us all healthier. We've got to continue good hygiene, and it underscores the normal statistic that 70% of the healthcare cost in this country is, comes from illnesses or conditions that are lifestyle uh, in origin rather than um, somatic. But here's what I think. If we, if we can hold our impatience in check, if we can get through another month of minimum social contact, of social distancing and good hygiene, we're going to come out the other end of this pandemic, this national emergency, roaring, roaring to go economically, socially, politically, and in our role as the global leader of a rules-based world. You don't have to take my word for it. You can look at the stock market. Yeah, the market was down a little bit today because it was waiting and waiting and waiting for that, for the CARE Act to get passed finally. <clears throat> They've been promised it all week and nothing was happening. So the stock market, if you look at it dip, the dip and then it, that it's starting slowly to come back. It's not going back to 2,700, but it's coming back to the point where you won't have lost everything you made in the last five years. It's coming back because of what the market analysts in, anticipate will follow. It's coming back because the market sees pent-up demand that will be released at least at the end of the COVID-19 phase one crisis. Now, it may happen again in the fall, but I think we may have a relatively normal summer. And we should also note, because the New York Stock Exchange is unique in its on-the-floor on the activity, that most of the trading this week was done remotely. And that will be a change that I think you will see reflected on Wall Street after this pandemic is behind us. And when we talk about ending the social distancing for Easter, I want you to be realistic when you hear someone speak of that. And I think the president is becoming more realistic about this. He's getting those numbers every day. And I think he's beginning to understand that if you're realistic, the average American is not going to get on an airplane and travel to California or Florida right now to visit Disneyland. I know I wouldn't. More importantly, my grandchildren who go to Disneyland every summer wouldn't go near the place right now. They know it will be there in a few months when it is relatively safer. But in order to get to that point, we've got to swallow our bitter shelter-in-place pill right now. Would it be better if we made it national? I mean, the airlines are experiencing terrible pain right now. How much worse could it get if we had a national shutdown, except for essential services, for a period in the month of April? 
I, I don't know the answer to that. And, and apparently none of the doctors who are doing a lot of modeling on this at this moment believe they have enough data to answer that question, yes or no. So we'll all be hanging on until they tell us whether or not there are green shoots in some county in the middle of the United States. We'll be back Sunday with an analysis of the thing that I am most aggravated about, this haphazard supply chain. Well, now they've put Peter Navarro in charge of getting national production done. I'm not too sure I'm, how I feel about that. Navarro is a theoretic economist with a very 1950 set of ideas about national nationalism versus globalism in the supply chain. At a moment, we don't need a theoretician right now. What we need is a practical logistics chief in the manner of General Patton. They had, um, I saw an interview last, I guess, Thursday night with um, the head of the Army Corps of Engineers, General Simone, I think Todd Simone, if I'm remembering correctly. Now, this is a guy who, and you're going to please, if the kids are in the room, you have to cover their ears. This is a guy who kicks ass and takes names. I need to know where you want to put your overflow hospital and no, not tomorrow. I need to know tonight because tomorrow I'm going to start building it. That's the level of energy which we need to apply to this logistics issue because, and I'll explain it to you on Sunday, this is not necessarily a supply issue. This is a logistics issue. And in the 21st century, that is unacceptable. That takes me to my second point about how to fix this. You need to send Jared Kushner home to his beautiful wife who is quarantined after exposure to the virus. Two cooks, Vice President Pence and son-in-law Jared Kushner, are not working with separate teams going to be able to make soup faster. In fact, they are colliding with one another. Back to my comments about this is a logistics issue. Step three, President Trump, please stop talking about China paying United States tariffs. China is not paying the tariff. They didn't pay it yesterday. They didn't pay it today, and they're not going to pay it tomorrow. The American consumer is paying it. Every time a consumer buys a product made in China and tariffed by the United States, that tariff is included in the price of the product to the consumer. I'm going to keep telling you this until you get it. I can nag. I have credentials. So I want you to repeat after me. Businesses don't pay taxes or tariffs. The end consumer does. That was true in 1773 when colonists staged the Boston Tea Party, and it is true still today. Another reason to make more ventilators and N95 masks than we need. It would be really, really good if salaries come, came into the U.S. economy from sales outside the United States rather than tariffs going out of the American economy as part of the price of Chinese goods. Because salaries coming into the U.S. economy will lead to a brighter future for all of us when this pandemic has passed. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. 
You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.